0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info.
1: Well, unless you're a night owl and were awake at about 1 a.m. when President Trump sent out the tweet alerting the country that he, in fact, and Melania Trump have tested positive for COVID-19. You probably awoke to the news about that this morning. It is an enormous story when the President of the United States comes down with an infectious disease that has the potential to do serious harm uh, to uh, people who contract it. And uh, so we have uh, shuffled the show a bit this morning and are going to Uh, discuss both the medical side of it and then later the political uh, side of it. Jim Galloway, my partner on Fridays, who, of course, is the lead political writer for the AJC and also oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com and is in the paper with his column on Wednesdays and Sundays, uh, is with me. Galloway, you were one of the people who actually got the news overnight. You were up when the president uh, tweeted.
2: Right. Yeah, we were uh, this morning. We're supposed we were supposed to be talking about this that that disaster of a debate in Cleveland, and uh, suddenly yep. it's become uh, a part of the distant past. Uh, it's it's j- yeah, this is yeah. just uh, it's, just it's, the it's, latest chapter in a very very weird year.
1: A little later in the show, we're going to be joined by uh, University of West Georgia political science professor, Karen Owen and Georgia State University political science professor Amy Steigerwald. They have graciously uh, agreed to uh, listen uh, to the first part of our show because at about 4.30 this morning, I sent a note to Dr. Carlos Del Rio, who, as you all know, has become one of the leading uh, spokespeople in terms of uh, uh, his appearances on on, uh, cable networks, uh, on our show, in terms of talking about... uh, the coronavirus. He, of course, is the executive associate dean of the Emory School of Medicine at the Grady Health System. He's a distinguished professor of infectious diseases at Emory University School of Medicine, and he's the co-director of the Emory Center for AIDS Research, which is just the beginning of his credentials. But Dr. Del Rio, it is very, very kind of you. I know you've got a busy day ahead, but for you to give up a few minutes of your time today to help us understand this story, thank you so much for being here.
3: Delighted to be with you, Bill.
1: Um, Let me start with the most basic question. Let's talk about the president's health because um, uh, no one wants the president of the United States or anyone to have a serious case of COVID-19. Um, so let we know. Uh, the White House has given us very little information. Let me just read you a quick quote. This is from his physician, Dr. Sean P. Conley. The President and First Lady are both well at this time. They plan to remain at home within convalescence. Um, I continued. He will continue to carry out his duties without disruption while recovering, and I will keep you updated. As the situation develops, um, Dr. Del Rio, if the president most likely first contracted, we, he had the first symptoms of the disease apparently uh, yesterday or Wednesday night. AIDS noticed he had a hoarseness in his voice that they attributed to his being at a rally. But if if in fact his symptoms are brand new, what are the various courses this disease could or could not taken him? When, if he's going to ha- be symptomatic, how does that start developing?
3: Well, I mean, I think we have to start, Bill, by asking uh, how—I'm uh, hoping that the test has been indeed confirmed. You know, the White House typically has been using a, a rapid test, the Abbott ID now, and obviously had several false positives. As you remember, I think it was the governor of Ohio tested positive on a rapid test, and then when they retested him with a PCR— he was negative. So the first thing I'm, I'm hoping that, that you know, the, they did a rapid test and this was followed very quickly by a PCR. And if confirmed by PCR, therefore he's truly uh, infected and is not a false positive, I, I wish, I hope that that's when then the White House physician said, yeah, they're both infected. Uh, having said that, if they have been both infected, I think that, you know, a lot of people that, that get infected with this disease have uh, very little symptoms. They are, they're mildly symptomatic. They may have one of the most common symptoms is just not feeling well, maybe having some fever. A very common one is is losing rapidly losing your sen- your sense of smell or taste. And I tell people that every morning I wake up, I see how I feel. If I feel well, I don't have a fever. And then I go downstairs and get my cup of coffee. If I can smell my coffee, that's my home rapid test for COVID because it's actually a pretty good thing to know that if you lose your sense of smell suddenly, Uh, or your sense of taste, uh, COVID is a possibility. Now, assuming you're infected, then, you know, as I said, many people are asymptomatic, but some people can then go on and get a fairly severe, uh, significant symptoms. And you get a COVID pneumonia, the virus goes down to the lungs, produces inflammation, and therefore you start getting short of breath. You start coughing, you start getting short of breath. And your, your oxygen saturation starts coming down. So, measuring the amount of oxygen in your blood is something very important because if you, that starts coming down, then you need oxygen, you need therapy, and that's when the current therapies are useful. Then, you know, remdesivir, dexamethasone, and other drugs are useful because if you don't use them, then you could potentially progress to be critically ill, go to the ICU, and, and, and possibly even die. My biggest concern is that we know the mortality in this disease increases and the severity in this disease increases significantly the older you get. And at the age of 74, the president has a significant risk of having severe disease. So having, you know, it's very different to be 31 like, uh, like his age is than being 74 like the president is. And this is virus clearly would produce a much more severe disease than somebody aged 74. Hey, so um, I know this um, is all
1: speculative to some extent, but how quickly might we expect— everybody's going to be watching the president to see how he either does develop more symptoms or doesn't. It, does this happen relatively quickly? Is it a matter of days before some of the possible more yeah. severe symptoms could show up? Yeah,
3: we will know within, within uh, you know five to seven days what the progression is. But I think something really important to remind people is that there are now, in the last several months— we have open clinical trials, and I said we, you know, through through different networks, et cetera. And there's a very exciting clinical trial that, in fact, we're doing here in Atlanta, but it's being done throughout the country with a monoclonal antibody to, to give to people as an injection, a one-time injection in people that are not very sick, and we've shown that that, you know, the possibilities that by giving that monoclonal antibody, you could potentially, you know, prevent the progression of disease. We we need to prove that. But, you know, if I was found to be infected today, I would like to be enrolled in that study because the monoclonal antibody is the most promising therapy for people who have mild COVID disease.
2: Uh, right. And, and uh, Bill, just uh, FYI, the uh, New York Times currently is reporting that the people in, inside the White House are saying that, that Trump's sy- symptoms are mild, and and that uh and that they're contemplating either a live or videotaped address simply to show that that that, that he's he's still he, he is he's still uh, in in charge and, and and functioning uh very much like Boris uh Boris Johnson did uh the prime prime minister of, of Britain when when he caught covid earlier this spring
3: now, remember yes, but things. Boris
1: Johnson ended up developing a severe case of COVID. Correct. Go ahead, Dr. Del Rio.
3: Correct. Now, I was going to say, Boris Johnson went out to get pretty sick, and they actually had to almost set up an intensive care unit within Downing Street to to take care of him. So, again, you know, I, I wish that, that that's not the case here, because the reality is you could potentially have a lot of, 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 I mean, you could start with minimal symptoms and then progress rapidly to very severe disease. Also, we know from Boris Johnson as well that even after you recover, there's a significant number of patients that recover from COVID need to have lingering symptoms, you know, malaise, fatigue, and just not feeling up to snuff. And, and I worry about the long-term consequence of COVID. That's the reason why I tell people the best thing is not to get infected.
1: Um, Dr. Del Rio, the uh, vice president's office uh, just a short time ago released a statement saying that he and his wife have tested negative for the virus. But let me ask you this. Vice President Pence was in Atlanta on wednesday he met with any number of state republican leaders um if he was exposed to virus he also we know had a meeting with the president on tuesday uh we know that he had spent some time in the west wing of the white house it isn't it is it is it fair to say that a test of the vice president today to see if he maybe was exposed uh to the president and mrs trump doesn't tell us much about whether or not he may have developed uh, uh, COVID because that takes more time to play out, doesn't it?
3: Yes, but the fact that he, again, if he was negative on a PCR test, then he was not infectious when he met with people. That doesn't mean he's not infected. The virus needs, you know, if he could be infected and the virus could start replicating and then get to a level in a day or two that now the test becomes positive. So, But a negative test really decreases significantly the chances that he transmitted to anybody. We know that, again, this is a virus. We know how it's transmitted. And the higher the amount of virus in your blood, the more likely you are to transmit. And, and the, not in your blood, I'm sorry. The higher the amount of virus in your respiratory secretions, the more likely you are to transmit. And, in fact, we know that the highest amount of virus is present two to three days before you actually develop symptoms.
2: Okay. So, so so, so, so Doctor, uh, Trump was here on Friday. If you were in 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 his company, uh, uh, at the at the at the uh, Cobb Galleria, uh, would you would you and and you shook his hand or you patted him on the back or you were within six feet of him uh, when he was unmasked? I mean, do 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 you go do you go and get 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 yourself tested?
3: Uh, Well, I think Jim, there are a couple things. Uh, We know again how this virus is transmitted. You need to be close within six feet of somebody who has infection and you need to be with that person for at least fifteen minutes so if you just went by pattern in the back is no big deal I think if you went by and shake his hand and then you took your hand and touched your mouth that could be a concern but you know it doesn't just happen because you walk by somebody now the concern is if you're in a closed environment like that in the cop gallery and lots of people the question is not whether you were close to Trump but how many other people are infected and that's why we tell people you know you have to wear a mask all the time if I'm going to an event with a lot of people like that I would wear a mask, but there's no benefit of me wearing, or not so much benefit of me wearing a mask if nobody else is. We wear a mask to prevent others from getting infected. So if I'm wearing a mask and nobody else is, the chances of me getting infected still occur. Now we do know, and something that is becoming pretty apparent is that if you get infected wearing a mask, your chances of of developing severe disease are lower, probably because again the amount of virus that you get is lower. So clearly, decreasing the infectious dose is an important component, and that's one way that masks actually protect you.
2: And if okay, and and just Doctor, to follow up, and ahead, if, if if all right, let let's 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 presume, let us hope that 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 uh, President Trump's symptoms remain mild. Uh, look, uh, we, we do have a campaign going. If if you're, what is the likely window of when he might be able to get back? Uh, campaigning or, 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 or uh, returning to contact with, with uh, the, these crowds that
3: he likes? Again, we know, uh, we know the data. It's 10 days. 10 days after he tested positive, he will no longer be infectious, and he's able to go ahead and continue and resume his life, assuming that he feels up to it, assuming that he's not yet lingering with symptoms. But 10 days. So go 10 days from today, and he'll probably see him back in the in the trail.
1: Well, that's an interesting observation, because one of the questions that's been raised already this morning is whether President Trump will have to remain isolated uh, uh, as long as, the, the, um, uh, as, as perhaps uh, two weeks, because the next debate, of course, is October 15th, and there were questions raised about whether he'd be able to attend. Um, you're suggesting that that should be outside the window of time that he would be shedding virus.
3: He will be outside the window in which he's shedding virus. He would not be outside the window in which he may not be feeling up to snuff. He, again, you know, I've seen many persons with mild disease go on and continue having fatigue, malaise, just not feeling up to snuff, you know, weeks and weeks. And we call those, those patients long haulers who just have persistent malaise and fatigue. So maybe he, he will not be infectious, but he certainly will be uh, potentially uh, uh, not, not, in best, and not in normal health.
1: Dr. Del Rio, the, um, there are reports out of the White House today. Um, and actually, uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie talked about this on the news this morning. Um, he was involved with debate preparations for the president the other day, along with a number of other top-level campaign and staff members of the president's. Uh, Christie pointed out they were all in, in an enclosed small space. No one was wearing a mask. Um, and these are some of the most important members of the administration. So, so here's my question. I know this is all speculative, but have, we, ha- have, have you all in, in the field been able to get any grip on the, the odds that someone in that kind of setting, exposed to someone who is shedding virus, is likely to develop the disease?
3: Well, again, uh, we know from a couple of studies, there was a very interesting study at a cold center in Korea in which everybody in that floor pretty much got infected, and, but not another floor. So we know a couple of things. Even though people were together in the elevator, the elevator time was not enough to get you infected. But it was being in those cubicles very close to each other for a long period of time that caused the transmission. I think if you're in a closed environment with a lot of people and somebody's infected there, the chance of transmission go up significantly. And that's why, again, I emphasize the importance of wearing a mask. I really want to emphasize if you wear a mask, you know, the fact that they were not wearing masks, really, and they were, the fact that they were in crowded environments like that really, again, emphasizes why we don't we, – we keep on saying in public health, don't do that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Dr. Del Rio, uh, you're you're an epidemiologist. A lot of your work is about education. Uh, uh, let, let us kindly call this a, a teaching moment. Uh, what What would you hope the public gets out of the next next, uh, say, forty eight hours of watching watching what happens in the uh, White House?
3: I am hoping if the President is having a press conference and uh, as Bill suggested, that not only does they show that he is okay, But that he ends by saying, and please wear a mask, uh, because, you know, at the debate, he had a mask, but he had it in his pocket, right? Uh, And I think we need to emphasize wear a mask all the time when you're with other people to prevent others from getting infected. If his aide had been wearing a mask and he had been wearing a mask when they were together, he wouldn't have, have, have gotten infected. So the message needs to be very clear. Please wear a mask. Please practice social distance. Please avoid crowds. And, and, and please, let's control this virus. We can do it. It's all up to us.
1: Dr. Del Rio, when you say that, it suddenly dawns on me that, um, it, in fact, this could be an extraordinary moment. I mean, let, let's again hope the president has, if any, symptoms are mild. Uh, but if this, in fact, shakes him into an awareness that it is time for him to model for the entire country the, the uh, measures that people need to take, including wearing a mask— this could be a very important moment for all of you in public health who have been saying forever that we need to be wearing masks and social distancing and we can and we can really uh, dramatically reduce the spread of this disease.
3: I really think leadership is critical in addressing a pandemic. And the fact that you can have a leader seize this moment to really address the nation and say, look, I had not been taking this seriously, but it can affect anybody, including me and my wife, and you have to protect yourself, and this is the ways you protect yourself, and this is what science tells us, how to protect yourself. And I didn't, didn't do it, but you need to do it. It will be an extraordinary moment.
1: Dr. Carlos Del Rio, um, thank you so much for – oh, I do want – let me ask you one last question, if I may. I know we got to let you go. You talked about the uh, therapy that the, you would want if you were uh, tested positive. You'd want to be in a study group for, I think you said, monocol antibodies. Could you just give us a quick understanding of – that's a newer – uh... therapy and i don't think our our listeners probably know about it
3: so these these are uh, antibodies produced by laboratories that have very very high levels of neutralizing activity against the virus it's almost like vaccines right it's almost like like the convalescent plasma we talked about but think about you know sort of this convalescent plasma concentrated into one injection instead of getting a plasma you get this one injection and monoclonal antibodies are currently being tested in two settings in people with mild disease that don't require hospitalization, and also in household context, there's a couple of studies that also we are doing that study in which let's suppose you test that positive, we can go to your household and find your relatives who are not testing positive, who are asymptomatic and not yet infected, like you know the vice president, for example. And who, but but who was exposed, and give them this monoclonal antibody as a vaccine, as a way to prevent them from getting infected. And again, monoclonal antibodies offer a lot of hope. And in my mind, I'm just as excited about monoclonal antibodies as I am about vaccines. I think there really are going to be a way forward in addressing this disease and preventing the spread and getting people back to work.
1: Well. Dr. Del Rio, again, as I started to say, I'm very, you're a great friend of this show. And the fact that you were able to clear a little time on your schedule to join us at the last minute today, it means a lot to us. Uh, Thank you so very much and um, continued good health to you, doctor. And I hope we'll talk to you again at some point in the future.
3: Take care, Bill, and thank you for having me.
1: Bye-bye. Um, why don't we do this? Um, why don't we get a break out of the way? But, but as we go to a break, let me, let me say one more thing. Um, once again today, we continue to be in a pledge period here at GPB Radio. Uh, today we were going to do a, a somewhat longer pledge break uh, because um, we thought the day would be a pretty normal day of talking about politics. When the news broke overnight about the president and Melania Trump, our people immediately, our bosses said, of course we need to give you as much time as possible to talk about the serious impact of all of this. And so today we are going to do very little in the way of having a pledge break. I'm going to tell you right now, as I have for the last few days, we really need your Help to continue the programming that you tell us you like so much on GPB Radio. Many of you have already pledged this drive. We've gotten just lovely notes from you about how much Political Rewind means to you. Um, Amelia Brock, Jesse Niswanger, Sam Burmes, Dawes, and I are very grateful uh, for that. And if you can give, now's the time to please consider doing it. Just go to GPB. and help us out. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have our political scientists talk with us about the political impact of all of this. This is Political
2: Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else.
1: Dr. Amy Steigerwald, Dr. Karen Owen, join us now. Uh, Professor Steigerwald at Georgia State, of course, and uh, Professor Owen at uh, the University of West Georgia. And Jim Galloway uh, continues with us uh, today. Um, Jim, let me give you the question first, and then I'd love to hear Amy and Karen expand upon it. I I think it's really fair to say this really completely resets, uh, obviously, the presidential race. And to the, and to an extent it certainly will have a huge impact on how candidates talk in the next certainly in the week ahead
2: about their campaigns yes right I mean uh, the the message just got turned upside down here uh, you you can't have you can't have a, a a trump campaign that's going to be emphasizing the 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 unreality of of a coronavirus pandemic you you will not be able to say that hope is just around the corner you uh, the the claim of a, a vaccine that will be available by election day uh, goes out the window uh suddenly the this the what debate next Wednesday between uh vice president Pence and Kamala Harris becomes very very important uh and and quite quite frankly it's it's you know dr del Rio touched on something you know it, it would be wonderful if if this causes a a, a change in attitude uh, in, in on the president's behalf uh, toward the pandemic, I don't know that we're going to get that 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 moment of self reflection though. We'll, we'll have to see.
4: So I I think that you know Jen's comment first of all about the issues that has definitely changed now as we move forward. So it's going to be very difficult for any candidate to be talking about the economy or um, opening back up and and helping, it's going to be focused on the virus and the public health concerns. And then I think for each candidate, it will be logistically, how do we campaign over the next two weeks? How do we still talk to voters? How do we reassure voters that we, uh, either party, that we are handling this, we are taking it serious, and we will be moving forward with a, a a good plan.
0: And I think just to piggyback on what both Jim and Karen were saying is that the other issue that's going to come in here is that in many ways where where the shift is going to take place when it comes to how the candidates are addressing the issues is really on one side. And that is not unimportant in this because it does mean that it's what's going to be on some level difficult for The Democratic candidates is that they're going to have to walk that sort of fine line of saying we're we're not happy that any of this is happening. This is a reminder of all the things that we've been saying, but not sort of having it backfire that they are um, sounding pleased about it or cocky or undermining it. Um, but it is a difficult thing. I mean, we, we've had a lot of discussions. The, the president in particular has sort of um, accused Democratic governors or Democratic mayors of shutting down cities or shutting down states as an election ploy. Um, and the reality is that it's not. It's There's a public health global pandemic that is happening, which can affect anyone, even into the White House, but it's still a, a difficult line to tread. And I think Karen's exactly right that in many ways, this is now going to completely subsume all of the other issues. Um, But I do think one thing that it's going to also mean is to still pay attention that there's a lot of other things that are going on simultaneously, and they're not necessarily stopping even if people aren't giving them attention, right? So we still do have a Supreme Court confirmation that is progressing. There still are um, debates over uh, COVID relief bill and things like that going on between Pelosi and Mnuchin.
2: You know, it's, uh, Bill, just uh, yesterday just seems so far away now. Uh, and one of the one of the I think it was on the front page of the New York Times was was a story about how Joe Biden was flip flopping and going back to door knocking in his campaign, and you and you wonder if if he's going to have to flip flop. Flop again and 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 pull back from that uh, I've I got a uh, this early this morning I, I got a note from from uh, from uh, one of my colleagues at the AJC Matt Kempner who just sent me a, a, a photo of a flyer that had arrived at his house from the Trump campaign you know uh, on the importance of reopening America's schools uh, this fall that suddenly takes on a diff- whole different meeting meaning it's it's uh it, it's it's amazing just the 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 large and small ways that this is going to this is really going to affect the dialogue that we're we're hearing uh, over 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 the internet over over the uh, cable news over the next uh, well 32 days 31 days that's how that's all we've got left in in this election season
1: yeah to sort of amplify what all three of you have said uh, Amy um you know, it is ironic, it's it's sad, I suppose, that President Trump, who has tried so hard to change the conversation around this campaign, away from the coronavirus and his handling of it, because he's seen the polling, he knows the country has not been impressed with the way he's handled uh, uh, the virus, uh, and so in his efforts to focus on law and order... Uh, to focus on what he calls the rioting uh, of of the radical left, of socialists. Um, What an incredible irony that he is ending up being the reason that COVID-19 and his handling of the coronavirus will continue, despite the fact you're right, other issues will come into play, but this is going to be what the campaign now suddenly talks about again. It's that's a there's a real irony to all that, Amy.
0: Very much so. the The irony is palpable. The sort of signals that are now going to be sent and the type of shifts we're going to see. Um, it also has coincided with a number of reports coming out about CDC guidances and. Uh, different guidelines and papers being changed due to White House pressures that they um, wanted to sort of downplay spread in schools and other issues. That I think is now going to get even more increased attention. Um, And it's an important one as lots of places are struggling It here. APS right now is in the midst of determining what happens for the next nine weeks of school once Mm -hmm. we hit October 26th. And there's no way that This does not color all of those debates, because even someone who is able to be tested daily, who is able to very much limit uh, who he is interacting with, can still catch this disease uh, because it's incredibly contagious. And so that's, I think, going to really come into all of this.
1: You know, Karen, uh, uh, Jim mentioned uh, the confirmation hearings for uh, Amy Coney Barrett, which are supposed to start a week from Monday on October 12th. Um, we know from reporting that uh, she's been with the president. She's been working out of the West Wing uh, for the last since her uh, nomination, which is not unusual. Supreme Court nominees often do do that. Um, but we have no idea who she's come into contact with while she's been there. She's gone to the Hill. And met with senators on the Hill. Uh, So we, you know, are going to all be watching to see whether uh, whether she may end up uh, testing positive for this disease, because, uh, uh, Karen, one thing we know is if you work in the West Wing, People who see see these TV sets of the West Wing don't understand it at all. It is not this huge space where there's lots of desks all over the place. It is tiny. The hallways in the West Wing are tiny. The meeting rooms are tiny. You can't avoid bumping into people as you walk from, say, the cabinet room to the Oval Office to the press room. And they're not wearing masks. So anyhow, uh, we have to be careful as we watch what happens with The Supreme Court nominee and how she may have come into contact with people on the Hill, Karen.
4: I think you're right. And she was also being escorted to the Hill by the Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. And Mark Meadows, of course, is with the president very often. And so I think it does, uh, we need to take a moment to pause and, and look at the ripple effect that this was not just a few people in the Trump family, but that expands out to those who are working in that close proximity to him. And then it now could have an effect on the Hill. There could be senators who've been exposed and others who, you know, staff that will be on the Judiciary Committee working on this, that they potentially were in rooms. Now we can hope that they were being proactive and wearing masks, but it's not clear at that point. And, And it does. I think today is that day of kind of Okay, now we're learning the news. It's kind of a shock. Oh my goodness, this is where we are. Mm. We need to think about the calm because there is this ripple effect and find out where it's going.
2: Yeah. The uh, the so, so Jim after 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 uh, after uh, Pence, who has who has said this morning that he and his wife have tested negative for COVID nineteen, uh, your the, the the constitutional uh, line of succession falls to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And then Senate President Pro Tem uh, Chuck Grassley. Uh, and Pelosi is 80 years old. Chuck Grassley is 87 years old. Uh, and suddenly this, this is a wake-up call for the U.S. Capitol as well because they have, in, in many ways, they have been just as cavalier when it comes to the virus as, uh, as, uh, as the White House.
1: Some of them have. I mean, clearly, it, 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 once have, again, yes. we've seen a partisan. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a partisan divide among members of Congress uh, as well. We've seen Democrats that seem to be trying to f- follow some of the basic practices: mask wearing, social distancing, and some Republicans fearful that they will offend or anger President Trump, who have uh, uh, not been as respectful of those guidelines. So, you're you're right, Jim. It's going to be fascinating to watch over there. But, Jim, while you got the ball, I want to talk about. Uh, how we see candidates here in Georgia uh, dealing with the news about uh, the president. And, and, you know, it does seem to me, and you sort of referred to this, it's there's a tightrope walk, a tightrope act here, I think. Um, you know, Democrats cannot afford to, I think, to be gleeful in the way they respond to, to this. And, and let me share with you, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Nakima Williams, uh, uh, who has been the chair of the state Democratic Party, now is leading candidate for John Lewis's seat in Congress. Her tweet this morning was, looks like somebody should be more consistent with wearing a mask like our next POTUS, Joe Biden. Um, Doug Collins responded to that. He said, devoid of logic and filled with hate, you're going to fit in great with Washington Democrats. I, I wonder, uh, Jim, if, um, if that's the approach— that Democrats
2: ought to be taking, um, in, in this situation. It's not. And, and I, I, I think Nikima Williams is an outlier on this. Uh, everything that I've seen so far from, uh, from, from, uh, democratic state lawmakers, uh, uh and 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 other figures is is uh Keisha Lance Bottoms for instance uh you know it's there yeah. they're sending their thoughts and prayers for 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 the family they're they're expressing the the right things uh uh I just got a a, a note from uh, Sarah Riggs Amico she was the uh the 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 uh candidate for lieutenant governor in 18 and ran for US Senate you know her whole family came down with it mm-hmm. she had a, she had a grandmother just come out of ICU and so she is, you know, she is, uh, she, uh, she is, insistent that Democrats not take this, not, uh, not uh, 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 dance about on this thing. No. Shot um, just to
1: amplify, Amy. Just to amplify, uh, Amy, here was uh, the tweet that Keisha Lance Bottoms put out a little while ago. Our thoughts and prayers are with the first family and all suffering from the coronavirus. A COVID-19 diagnosis is unsettling, and even more so when a loved one also tests positive. Derek and I wish the first family a speedy recovery. And, of course, she had COVID-19 in her own house, in her own family, and, and so can relate to this in a very personal way, Amy.
0: Yes, and I think that that's true of a number of people, right? Even those, I remember when Sarah riggs um, first tested positive, one of the things she did, she came out and said, look, we thought we were doing everything right, and we still got it, and that's part of what is scary about this. And so I think that... The, I think most people are going to respond in the same way that we are seeing Mayor Bottoms responding and Sarah Riggs and Miko and others, same way that, uh, Vice President Biden and his wife have responded to say that we don't want to see, um, anyone get this. And so I do think that it is not the best plan, um, to try to say, well, it's, you've got your comeuppance. Um, I think the other thing though is that I think in response that, for example, Um, Where Doug Collins might need to be concerned is that when he says it's devoid of logic, well, no, actually. the, The logic is clear, right? Taking precautions aids you in not getting it, and particularly if you suggest that There are that we're not in the middle of a public health emergency and that we don't need to be taking precautions. Like that is the logic. Um, We know what will stop this. It's everyone wearing a mask, it is social distancing, it is thinking through how we are interacting. And so I think that's the other side is that um, Republicans need to, um, they're going to have to think very seriously about the responses that they've given in the past and how they're going to shift now and how they're also, which is really a part of this. Convince their supporters now that this is not, in fact, a hoax, but is in fact something very real.
1: In the same, at the same time, Karen, it is fair play for Democrats if they want to point out the their opponents for having downplayed the virus, right? I mean, we know John Ossoff, for instance, has already been running a fleet of TV ads in which he highlights uh, David Perdue's early comments about the virus which was sort of a reflection of what the president was saying we'll handle this don't it's not going to get to be as big a crisis as some people think and and it is not unfair to continue to make those kinds of comparisons right
4: so i think in any campaign no matter what circumstances arise each party has to differentiate each other and what their messages are and what they're trying to put forward as policy changes So you're right, like, Ossoff's probably not going to back off of it. Is he going to be out today commenting full force? Probably not. I mean, each candidate in the Democratic Party right now has to be thinking, I can't say we told you so, but we have to have that empathy that, look, this virus is affecting not only my family, your family, it's now affecting people at the top levels of government. And so I think that messaging you know, right now, I feel like today, through the weekend, it's going to be careful, but I heard historian John Meacham say this morning, again, this is another area which could fuel more divisiveness in campaign politics and in American politics, and I think it could. You know, in a week, if the president's, you know, still with mild symptoms, which we hope he is, then it could amplify and ramp up another um Discussion that could get very divided along party lines specifically.
1: All right, let's do this. Um, let's get our final break of the show out of the way. And when we come back, we'll shift a little bit. Uh, Jim Galloway, the, uh, the uh, uh, I'm sorry, WSB TV uh, is the first Georgia organization to uh, put up a poll about how uh, Georgians felt about the debate Tuesday night and how it may have affected their thinking about who ought to be the next president. I'd love to talk about that, uh, but first, uh, we'll pause for these messages. I know it was a short break, but there was enough time to go to gpb.org and help us by pledging that you will support uh, Political Rewind in all the shows that you tell us you like so much on GPB radio and I certainly would appreciate it if you do that. Karen Owen, Amy Steigerwald, Jim Galloway with us uh, as we uh, continue our show today. Jim, let's move beyond the news about the president and uh, Mrs. Trump. Uh, Mark Roundtree at Landmark Communications has another poll. He uh, talked to four, 500, uh, uh, I think, likely voters and um, And uh, after the debate and uh, the new numbers, his polling uh, just within the last week or so had Trump up, I think, 47 to 40 percent over Biden. Uh, After the debate, he now shows that um, Biden has picked up seven points and now leads Trump 47, 45. So the president has dropped. Um, He also uh, ascertained. On the question of who won the debate, uh, 47% of Georgians said it was Biden, 37% it was uh, Trump, um, and about 9% of the people he polled said the debate changed their minds. What do you make of all that?
2: Well, first of all, it's it's uh as 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 we've said on this show time and time again, one poll does not does, does 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 not tell the story. What you're trying to you're you're trying to to show is is movement. And so if you've got a single pollster, uh what you want to do is sing what see what past polls. Uh, the, the 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 previous poll you you uh uh you mentioned was September 1st, uh and the spread was 48 to 41% Trump over Biden. And and to to, to see that, that, that Biden has essentially regained the ground and Trump has lost ground uh, since that debate, I think is is is, is really important. It, it's just it is it is stunning to see a Democratic candidate for president, even 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 within the margin of error in Georgia, uh, in, in October it is uh it 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 tells you what kind of election year we've been through and and ke- again keep in mind uh we were we were we were we have you, you just touted this th- this this poll as the first after a major event i.e. the the cleveland debate and even since then we've had yet another <laughs> major debate which which yeah. could, which could yeah. uh, affect this uh, affect this poll uh even more Karen?
4: So I would just follow up to say, you know, one thing that you said right there at the end is that 9% changed their mind after the debate in this recent poll. And if you go back to the one that Jen mentioned on that September 1st at the end of August, there were about 9% who were still undecided. And we talk a lot, like I talk to my classes, a lot about how debates have an effect to the undecided They're ones who are more likely to turn in, perhaps, and watch so that they can come to a conclusion. And it would be interesting to know if that's some of that shifting, is those people who were undecided a month ago are now
0: solidifying where they stand. Amy? Um, I think the other thing that I'm struck by, both in this poll and really a lot of the other ones that we've seen, is how very few undecided voters there are. Um, The race has in some ways, like there hasn't been a ton of shift for most people. They've made up their minds and they actually made up their minds quite a while ago. And so it means that at the end of the day, the real question is not who it is that people prefer. It's who actually turns out to vote. And turnout is going to be a huge deal. Um, I think something that's really important to note is we know that there's a record number of, for example, absentee ballots being requested in Georgia. But a request for a ballot doesn't mean, in fact, that people turn it back in and vote. Um, There's a high likelihood of high levels of Election Day turnout, but it has to actually happen. And that's true sort of around the country. So I think the thing that I would remind people is go vote right it it is in fact not over until number one people vote and the last vote is counted
2: you know uh bill I'm glad this, you said that because yeah go ahead oh, oh I'm sorry I'm sorry uh but but this but this COVID diagnosis may have may have just uh, uh made a, a a huge uh issue moot uh because after this debate af- after this debate uh given trump's uh, performance i th- i think uh, the count was he interrupted biden or, or chris Wallace 70 times over 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 90 minutes uh there was talk about making some some changes to the debate format perhaps uh uh giving the moderator a mute button which which the trump the, the trump uh people were 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 already uh uh, uh balking at we now have, yes, I know uh, Carlos del Rio told us that 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 uh, Trump's infection period is is, is, is 10 days with the next uh, presidential days. debate is is October 15th. Yet it might give uh, the Trump campaign a diplomatic way of saying we're done with the debates and and we need yep. to uh, uh, we need to move on to to uh, regular campaigning.
1: Um, but I want to mention something, uh, uh, Jim, because Amy made me uh, re- remember this. Monday is the deadline. If you are not registered to vote in Georgia, yes. if you've either moved since the last time you voted um, or if you have any other circumstances, uh, you've just come to the state and you want to vote, Monday is your deadline to get it done. And so what Amy says is absolutely right. Vote and register. Make sure you're registered to vote. Karen?
4: I was just going to say that Jim's point about the debate um, and whether Trump will, you know, maybe have a different viewpoint of whether there is an in-person debate. I think the presidential commission will start to ask the question of, can we host that debate, but it could be in a different format. And then the second piece I want to piggyback up on the voting, though, is not only get registered by Monday, but it makes me wonder after this uh, diagnosis, if voters will start to rethink how they're planning to vote In this election, will there be more requests for absentee ballots over the next few days, or will people want to try to vote early and plan that out to where there's maybe not a crowd?
0: Well, and another thing that we're going to want to watch has been the response to absentee ballots as well as drop boxes. So, one of the things that also happened late yesterday was that the Texas governor, for example, announced that there could only be one ballot drop-off box per county. Um, What's notable about that is that some of the counties in Texas are larger than other states. So, for example, uh, the county that includes Houston is larger than the state of Rhode Island. Another one is larger than the state of Delaware, Um, And so that's a huge question. And also, what are going to be the standards for what is going on? How are courts? Because there are, in fact, a number of pending lawsuits right now. Uh, There's one in South Carolina about whether or not you need a witness to your signature and other ones. So I think that's going to be something we're going to be watching and to see how people respond.
1: All right. Amy Steigerwald gets the last word on today's show. I think we're fortunate there are at least some counties in Metro Atlanta. that are adding uh, drop boxes, unlike what's happening in Texas. Uh, So what a thing. Georgia, at least in some counties, is doing it right. That's wonderful to know. Amy Staggerwald, Karen Owen, Jim Galloway, thank you. For a terrific conversation uh, today. Uh, we are gonna end the show just a little bit early because we do wanna give you a chance to uh, help support GPB. I've said it all this week, yes I know. This is a very difficult time. We're faced with the coronavirus, we're in toxic political times, we're dealing with racial injustice. So there are a lot more important things than donating to uh, public radio. But you know what? We are there for you every day talking about these issues And I hope that means you want to support us as we move forward. I'm going to say goodbye. Take care. Stay healthy. Yes, wear a mask and go get a flu shot. And here's how you can help GPB. Goodbye, everybody.